Hi, Rebels. This Financial Literacy Month, Rebel Girls teamed up with Greenlight, the debit card and money app for families, to bring you everything you need to be smart with your money and to build healthy habits that last a lifetime. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to make smart choices with every penny, whether you're saving for something special or learning to invest. Greenlight gives kids the power to be independent and grown-ups can trust that their kids have money wherever they are. Sign up at greenlight.com slash rebelgirls to get your first month at no cost and start building money confidence for life. Once, there was a girl who would blaze a trail through the world of art. Her name was Wildfire Edmonia Lewis. We don't know exactly when Wildfire was born, but we think it might have been around the time of America's 68th birthday. Her father was a servant from Haiti, and her mother was half Black and half Native American and worked making traditional Chippewa crafts with her two sisters. In the 1850s, in America, most Black people were enslaved, and Indigenous people were treated badly, like they weren't even human beings. But Wildfire's parents had both been born free and passed that freedom down to their two children, Wildfire and Sunshine. By the time Wildfire was nine years old, both of her parents had passed away. She moved in with her big brother and her two aunts, but Wildfire's brother, Sunshine, had other plans. He changed his name to Samuel and moved west to dig for gold in California. Before he left though, he promised that if he struck it rich, he'd send money back for Wildfire to go to school. And he did. And Wildfire? Wildfire struck gold too, deep down inside herself. I'm Dana King, and this is Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. In this episode, Wildfire Edmonia Lewis. In 1859, Wildfire changed her name to Mary Edmonia Lewis. And although she changed her name, she still had her fiery spirit. She had been declared wild at her school and forced to leave. But her brother was determined to give her the best education he could. Samuel sent her money to attend Oberlin College in Ohio, where nobody knew about her wildness just yet. At the time, Oberlin was one of those rare schools that allowed students of color and white students to study together. It was run by abolitionists. Those were people who opposed slavery and believed in freedom for everyone. Still, Edmonia wasn't allowed to take difficult math and science classes like geometry or anatomy. Instead, girls like her were enrolled in the young ladies department, where she could only take classes like poetry, painting, literature, drawing, and French. Edmonia tried to make friends at Oberlin, but this went terribly wrong. 
two white classmates, who Admonia thought had been her friends, claimed that she had maliciously poisoned them. The shock of this betrayal must have been nearly unbearable. Admonia hired a lawyer and prepared for the battle of her life. But something horrible would delay her trial. Many of the stories from Edmonia's life have different versions. What we do know about this story is that before her trial, she was attacked by a mob of white men who thought Edmonia was guilty even before her trial began. The following day, bells rang out throughout the town, alerting everyone to her disappearance. Friends, classmates, and townspeople searched high and low for Edmonia. When they found her and brought her home, she could not get out of bed for days. Her friends carried her into the courtroom each day for the six-day trial. And after much deliberation, the judge decided there wasn't enough evidence to convict her. Victorious, her friends carried her out of the courtroom on their shoulders. Even though she had been found innocent, other students tried to make Edmonia's life very difficult after that. A year after the trial, another classmate accused her of stealing art supplies. School officials were tired of the scandals that always seemed to follow Edmonia and refused to let her register for the following term. They probably felt that this wild girl had caused too much trouble. She had to go. Instead of begging for forgiveness or enrolling in a new college, Edmonia left Oberlin for Boston, dropped the Mary in her name, and tried to blend in to New England life. The anonymity of living in a big city felt wonderful. Nobody knew about her multiple expulsions or her brushes with the law. Here, she could reinvent herself. Though she'd been mostly sheltered from it at school, the Civil War had been raging for years by the time Edmonia made it to Boston in 1864. The fight between the South and the North over slavery was all anyone could seem to think about, write about, or talk about. The new Edmonia wanted to join the conversation, and she soon found friends among a group of abolitionists. One connection led to another, and her love of art and artistic abilities led her to a master sculptor named Edward Brackett. Under his careful instruction, she began sculpting small portraits with plaster and clay. Edmonia's very first works featured heroes like Abraham Lincoln and abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison. Edmonia wanted to be recognized for her hard work, but she also wanted to learn and grow as an artist. As she told the abolitionist journalist Lydia Child in 1864, some praise me because I'm a colored girl and I don't want that kind of praise. I had rather you point out my defects 
for that will teach me something. Lydia interviewed and wrote about Edmonia many times. It was these articles that introduced Edmonia to a larger and larger audience. But their relationship was complicated because Lydia didn't always believe in Edmonia's talent. She encouraged Edmonia not to shoot too high or be too ambitious. She told her not to sculpt in marble. Perhaps Edmonia should work on something easier, like wood. To prove her wrong, Edmonia moved on from making medallions to busts, which are full head and shoulders of famous people, like Civil War heroes. Lydia grudgingly agreed that these were really quite good and then helped her sell them. Hey, grown-ups! Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Listen, I used to be miserable with allergies from about the beginning of April till the end of August. Sometimes my best friend was a cold washcloth over my face. I couldn't taste my food because my nose was so stuffed up. I couldn't go for a run because my eyes were so itchy. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for hikes, cut the grass, and most importantly, stop and smell the flowers. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. I have to tell you about my friend Penelope. She is hilarious. She only eats cheese doodles and canned beans, and she loves to sing and fly through walls. Wait, did I tell you that Penelope is my imaginary friend? Well, she is, but she's totally real to me. Anywho, Penelope and I are very excited because there's a new movie coming out on May 17 all about imaginary friends. It's called IF, which stands for Imaginary Friends. Pretty cool, am I right? IF is so much fun with lovable fuzzy giants and bright new galaxies. It stars Kaylee Fleming as B, a girl who discovers that she can see everyone else's IFs. Meanwhile, Cal, played by Ryan Reynolds, can also see ifs. Together, they team up and go on a magical adventure to reconnect forgotten ifs with their kids. If is from the brilliant mind of writer-director John Krasinski. It also stars John Krasinski, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Maya Rudolph, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Emily Blunt, Aquafina and Steve Carell, just to name a few. It celebrates the incredible power of curiosity and creativity, and it's definitely a laugh-out-loud adventure for the whole family. 
If comes out in theaters starting May 17th and is guaranteed to knock your socks off. What? Oh, Penelope says she wears two pairs of socks at all times. Also, that imaginary friends get limitless refills on popcorn. So join us in the theater on May 17th. Bring your imaginary friends too. A year after the Civil War ended, Edmonia was tired of taking things slow. She wanted to sculpt big things using her own imagination. She wanted to create something new, something big that would last for centuries. In 1866, against Lydia's advice, Edmonia sold a hundred copies of her busts and bought a ticket to Italy. There were many, many talented artists there who could teach her a thing or two. Edmonia was determined to absorb all of their wisdom and sculpt it into her craft. But there was more to leaving America than just searching for artistic inspiration. Edmonia felt like racism was holding her back. She said, the land of liberty had no room for a colored sculptor. When she got to Italy, though, her American host family refused to let her in the door. They hadn't imagined that a black woman would show up expecting to live in their house as an equal. Edmonia didn't speak a word of Italian and she didn't know a single person there, but she didn't let that stop her. She quickly found another place to stay and a kind stranger she met paid all of her hotel bills. With a letter of introduction from one of Edmonia's American contacts, a sculptor named Harriet Hosmer agreed to take Edmonia on as a student. With Harriet's help, Edmonia set up her very own outdoor studio where tourists gathered to watch her shape plaster models and chisel gorgeous figures out of marble. What she undertakes to do, she will do, wrote Lydia in one of her articles about Edmonia, though she has to cut through the heart of a mountain with a penknife. Living in Italy was expensive. Edmonia pinched pennies by not hiring workers to turn her models into sculptures and instead did all the intricate chiseling work herself. To pay for her studio and supplies, she shipped her sculptures overseas to be sold at art auctions. And her American contacts, like Lydia Child, would mail her an envelope of cash with her earnings. Everything worked fine until Lydia refused to sell Edmonia's piece forever free in 1867 after the Emancipation Proclamation freed American slaves. This sculpture is stunning. It shows two victorious people freeing themselves from bondage. The woman kneels with her hands in grateful prayer and the man's fist is in the air. He's wearing a broken chain like a medal of honor. The 
marble immortalizes their freedom and shows hope for future equality. Lydia detested the statue and wrote a lot of ugly things about Edmonia and her work. They lost contact after that. Edmonia didn't care what Lydia or anyone else thought and sold the statue anyway for $800. Today, that would have been almost $15,000. Forever Free is now one of her best-known works and lives at the Howard University Art Gallery in Washington, D.C. Even though she sometimes felt uncomfortable because there weren't many Black people in Europe, Edmonia loved Italy. She loved the opera, the culture, and the centuries of art history everywhere she looked. She felt free to be herself, where hostile prejudice didn't follow her like a shadow everywhere she went. She lived in Rome for 20 years and became fluent in Italian. She didn't go back to America often, but when she finally did, it was to unveil a magnificent masterpiece. In 1876, Edmonia arrived in Philadelphia for the World's Fair, transporting a 3,000-pound marble sculpture. She called it the Death of Cleopatra. The sculpture was so realistic that people were shocked by it. Some called it ghastly and absolutely repellent. Others said it was the most impressive American piece in the show. But after the World's Fair, Cleopatra went missing. No one knew where it had gone. Almost a hundred years later, it turned up in a small bar in Chicago. Then someone bought her to mark a grave for a horse named Cleopatra. Then she ended up in a construction yard, unprotected from the wind, rain, and snow. A local Boy Scout troop tried to help by painting her with white and purple paint to cover up the damage. Cleopatra was finally found and rescued from an Illinois mall by a helpful historian. Today, she's finally found a home. The death of Cleopatra lives in the Smithsonian Museum's permanent collection. Sometimes the details about Edmonia's life get a little fuzzy. She rarely ever talked about her past or her childhood. She didn't keep a diary. She didn't write her own book. Everything that could be pieced together about her life came from newspaper clippings and crumbled old letters. Sometimes writers couldn't agree on where she was born or even how old she was. Historians can't even agree on where and how she passed away. For someone who was so large in life, so well-known that people would come to Italy just to watch her work, it is astonishing that her story faded and even more astonishing that her epic sculptures did too. Today, people are discovering her work all over again. Scholars are curious about her life, amazed by what she accomplished and frustrated by the missing pieces and contradictions in her story. 
but mostly, everyone is in awe of the marbled history Edmonia left behind. And even though there are more questions than answers, we do know one thing. Wildfire Edmonia Lewis has taken her rightful place in history as one of the greatest American sculptors of all time. was hosted by Dana King. Dana is a sculptor and a former broadcast journalist. This podcast is a production of Rebel Girls and Boom Integrated, a division of John Marshall Media. It's based on the book series, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. Our executive producers are Jess Wolf and Katie Springer. This season was produced by John Marshall Cherry, Sarah Storm, and Robin Lai. Corinne Peterson is our production manager. This episode was written by Justine Ware and edited by Katie Springer. Proofread by Ariana Rosas. Original theme music was composed and performed by Aletra Barjocki, who has also sound designed this episode. Mattia Marcelli was the sound mixer. Until next time, stay tuned and stay rebel. Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right. You can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening.